A quick content note before we get started with this week's episode. The movie we watched this week, Imitation of Life, deals with issues of race, racism, and the phenomenon of passing as white in America. As a result, this episode is almost exclusively a discussion of issues of race, racism, problematic depictions of black people on screen, as well as the culture of white supremacy in Hollywood and America in general. You're going to make your pancakes and I'm going to sell them on the boardwalk. Oh, yes. I've rented a concession. We're going to live in the rooms in the back and the stores at the front. So leave everything now and get buckets and rags and soap. We've got to start cleaning up. And gather up the children. They'll have to go with us. I stopped on the way and talked to a painter and a man about the fixtures. They'll be there, so hurry up. Hello, and welcome to The Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. Once we've watched... All of the movies in a particular year, we will tell you if the Academy chose correctly and why. I'm Susan Araslin. I'm David Dahl. I, and I just woke up, so this is going to be an interesting one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's, I mean, it was going to be anyway with this one. Yeah, but of all movies for me to have way overslept and then have to talk about something that is really, really heavy is gonna be Yeah. This is a oh this is a weird one, Susan. You're never gonna guess. Yeah. <laughs> it is. I've done a little bit of research though, and I find that actually it's totally explicable. So yeah, this week we watched Imitation of Life, the 1934 version, and the penultimate movie in the 1934 nominees. And really, I think the first movie that we have watched where the Hayes Code absolutely ruined this film. (laughs) I think so, but I also think, like, this screen test of time-wise, this movie was just doomed oh absolutely absolutely but having done a lot of background research on why it was doomed yeah it does seem to be down more to restrictions that were put on it by the Hayes code than the writer director and artists involved than their intentions which makes me feel better but does not make the movie pass because the movie fails (laughs) i don't know i don't know if i necessarily agree with the assessment that the writer and director don't... I mean, I get what you're saying about the Hayes Code and about the way they sort of changed the plot of Piola, the daughter, to be a little bit more ambiguous in order to not, you know, have white people and African-Americans sleep together, even suggested. But, like, I think the core problem here is just that Louise Beavers is playing a, like, terrible African-American stereotype. And I really don't think that's on the Hayes Code. Like, I think even despite the Hayes Code, there's actually some complex and interesting stuff about passing in this movie. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We'll get into why I'm going to argue that the Hayes Code is responsible for the more egregious failures of this movie. The Hayes Code is definitely not responsible for Delilah's being a mammy stereotype and the problems with her specifically. But yeah, let's let's tell the plot of this movie. Yeah, Claudette Colbert is a white widow raising a daughter who by chance meets 
Delilah Johnson, who is an African-American woman raising a daughter of her own, who agrees to live with Claudette Colbert, whose character is named B, for room and board will help raise both of their kids and, you know, basically be her maid. For no pay. And it's like made very explicit that she's literally being paid just in room and board for herself and her child. Yes. One day, Delilah makes apparently really, really good pancakes. So good that B immediately goes out and decides to, as a way of selling maple syrup, which was her husband's business before he passed, open a pancake restaurant on the Atlantic City boardwalk. Although I do not know how you're supposed to know that that was Atlantic City. And there's sort of some cute, like scenes of Claudette Colbert wheeling and dealing her way to opening the restaurant on no money. The movie then immediately jumps five years into the future to where the restaurant is successful and debt-free and they've paid off everything and are seemingly sort of very lower middle class instead of struggling to put food on the table, which was, I guess, where they were before. We then get the, sort of the first segment of, sorry, this movie just has so much going on that I'd kind of almost already forgotten. I can take over from here and you can jump back in when you need to. Yeah, sure. We get the first moment of watching Piola, who is Delilah's very light-skinned daughter, basically struggling with the fact that she is black because Piola and Jesse, who is the white daughter of Claudette Colbert's character, have gone off to school and then you see Piola run back in and Piola is crying and Jesse follows afterward and B and Delilah want to know what's wrong. And Piola says that Jesse called her black and Piola says, I'm not black. I won't be black and is crying in her mother's arms. And this is something that is going to happen a number of times where Piola has a major problem with the fact that she is black. And that other people in her environment mentioned it to her or expose her when she's been passing. And she gets very upset. But that the response from all of the people around her is not, there's nothing to be ashamed of. It's fine to be black. We know that it's difficult. The world is racist. No, the response here is that B tells Jesse that she was being mean she actually asks her why would you say something so mean as if telling someone that they are black is an insult delilah in her usual way of basically allowing b to walk all over her says no no you don't you don't have to get mad at jesse jesse doesn't have to apologize and there's so much going on in that scene where i'm like okay first of all Will someone please just tell this poor nine-year-old child that there's nothing wrong with being black? (laughs) And that will never happen, not once, in this movie. I mean, I... Yes. I think what is going on in that scene is a little bit intentionally complicated. It seemed to me that Louis Beavers was playing Delilah as essentially going, like, not letting B walk all over her and going, like... Hey, don't have your daughter apologize for saying my daughter is black. My like my daughter needs to know who she is and accept who she is and like also doesn't want to go like, "Hey, it's fine. There's nothing bad here in because the world is racist." But like I don't think it 
particularly plays, and I don't think the movie wants to indict B at any point quite enough. That was my major issue is that somebody needs to somebody needs to tell B that saying that someone is black is not mean. That the problem is not you're black. The problem is that the world is racist. <laughs> and that never happens. That is the damage that the Hayes Code has done to this movie and to the script is that any mentions of racism, any moments of like white people being bad to black people were excised from the script, which pulls all of the teeth out of it and then makes Piola's problem Piola's problem and not that Piola lives in a racist world. <laughs> y- you know, I, yes, that sucks. But I do think as we kind of go through and talk about it, I do think the movie manages to visually indicate it. It definitely does. And apparently there were people who wrote letters to the actresses and the directors thanking them for taking on this really complex subject of passing. I more had a problem with the movie around, one, it definitely thinks of B as a, like, enlightened liberal who's helping lift the poor African-American community up from penury in a completely uncomplicated way that we're not going to at all think about. (laughs) And two, that the movie's treatment of... Delilah is it really wants to have it both ways because it wants to do this complex sort of analysis of what it is to be black in America and also wants her to be a mammy stereotype who has these hilarious scenes where she's a childlike idiot and like it it sucks it really sucks every time it happens yes it does really really suck so they have that moment and then that just sort of passes and they go on to a scene where this guy comes into the pancake restaurant and this guy, I, I couldn't get a read on this guy, I gotta tell you. Because like on the one hand, he obviously is okay with women being in business, but he's so grumpy and mean and I like immediately have an aversion to any man who takes this tactic in the way that he approaches the world and sort of like mansplains to her how she should run her business. But on the other hand, like she becomes a millionaire because of it. So <laughs> yeah, it's complicated also, I think, by the fact that uh, this character, Elmer Smith, who I cannot recall that name ever being said at any point in the film is played by Ned Sparks, who we've seen in a couple of movies before, and who has an extremely distinctive speaking voice and extremely distinctive sort of persona. And it seems like one of those things, like how you'll like cast Jim Carrey because you want Jim Carrey to do the funny Jim Carrey voice. It seems like the direction was like, Ned Sparks lean real hard into being Ned Sparks. (laughs) He's Happy Maguire in Lady for a Day, and he totally reads like a grumpy gangster in this movie, except that he is like a businessman. (laughs) Right. And so I think like plot wise, yeah, he does mansplain to her, but it's like inextricable the way that he's kind of off-putting as written versus the way that he's kind of off-putting because he's constantly talking like this. And that's his whole bit. My whole deal is I talk like this and I go, nah, and I don't like you very much. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And, like, he's funny. I like him in this movie. Me too. (laughs) But it does make you think, like, what is the, like, reality level of this universe? 
Well, I mean, not a lot. Not a lot. Yeah. But yeah, he he tells B that she should box her pancake flour and sell it in stores, which she then does. And here is where we get a major fucking problem. It's not her pancake flour. It's Delilah's. Yeah. And by the way, oh, we skipped a little thing in the mention of how she ends up renting and outfitting this pancake restaurant on no money. The sign that she has painted is a portrait of Delilah smiling sort of beatifically into the middle distance. And the restaurant is called Aunt Delilah's Pancakes. Yeah. I mean, it's... It's Aunt Jemima. I mean, that's it's it just straight up is, is the whole bit. I kept trying to explain the plot of this movie to Sean, and I kept saying Aunt Jemima instead of Delilah. Yeah. And I was like, damn it, no, not Jemima, Delilah. But yeah, we then get to a small jump in the future where they're incorporating on the manufacturing, the pancake flour plan. And B very generously gives Delilah 20% of the company. And you're supposed to like fall all over yourself about how helpful and nice that is because Delilah is like unable to understand concepts like incorporating or making money. And literally says, you know, she doesn't want to move. She doesn't want to do anything except continue to be B's maid while she's making 20% of this company that is on her work. Yeah. It. it uh, which was, uh, yeah, that was the part where I went, okay, no, fuck this movie. Because, like, that that's the part that's not Hayes Code. That's black women don't want to do anything other than just wait on white people. I was going to, I mean, that absolutely. I was going to say I almost do want to blame the Hayes Code for that one. Because, like, there's no way that's in the original novel. There is no way. But I guess I could go either way about whether it's the Hayes Code or just the writers of this movie that decided to have her, yeah, just not have any desire in life except for her daughter to be doing okay and to continue being this white woman's servant. It kind of disrupts the whole back half of the movie (laughs) because you then jump to 10 years later where B is a millionaire and presumably, I guess, so is Delilah. But Delilah is just sleeping downstairs in the servants' quarters, right? keeping on the periphery of the big fancy parties so as not to disturb any of the white people, and talking to her daughter. And the movie keeps visually indicating how fucked up that is, but not really talking about it at any time in a way that I think really reflects badly on B. Like, Claudette Colbert has to come off as kind of a terrible person because she just kind of smiles and goes like, this is what everyone wants, it's fine, through all that. And Delilah is never portrayed as having any problem with this, having any conflict about it. She's such a simple, kind-hearted person with no ambition of her own that she's just happy to live out the rest of her life, quite literally, as we will get to, living in Claudette Colbert's basement as her maid. Um, 
So yeah, do, I'm sorry, I again, just woke up. Do we talk about the party? Uh, no, we have not yet talked about the party. Right, so the reason we know that B has become a millionaire is because she's having a giant party in her, I guess, new mansion. <laughs> yeah. Which Delilah is not attending. Delilah is attending, but is standing out on the balcony and not going inside to the party. Right, she's allowed to dress up out of her maid costume for once. Yeah. You know, she's wearing like a sort of evening caftan, but is not, she's not attending the party. She's on the outside of it and very, very clearly on the outside of it. This was the point definitely where I started to turn on B because she could have been like, here is the woman who is the reason we're all here or done anything other than made it. This is my accomplishment. I did all of this. And I got a little bit angry, actually, when she tastes the pancakes and Delilah says, oh, I can never tell you the secret. It dies with me. And then immediately tells her anyway. And then B's reaction is not to say, oh, my gosh, we should open a pancake house. It is to never consult with this woman who tells her that it is a family secret, but to immediately go out and start her own business. But this point was where I was like, okay, forget it. Like, this is bullshit that she has taken this woman's work, made all of this money off of it, and can't even give her, like, a five-minute speech at a party (laughs) where she's being lauded for it. As the cherry on top to all that stuff that sucks, the fact that we don't confront that in any way or spend any screen time on any of that is freeing up time for B to be involved in the worst, most boring part of this movie, which is her love triangle with her love interest and her own daughter, which every second of screen time spent on it is wasted. And I say that liking all three of the actors involved. I totally agree. And I think that part of why I felt so annoyed about the whole situation is because I'm so conditioned by contemporary movies to assume that anytime an adult man has a teenager throw herself at him, it's all going to go very, very badly. (laughs) And to its credit, that doesn't happen. The sort of top line version is that Warren William, who played Dave the Dude in Lady for a Day, is playing Stephen Archer, an ichthyologist who apparently just, that concept is hilarious to this film, (laughs) who is inexplicably friends with Ned Sparks character Elmer Smith and comes by the party and shit talks businesswomen to Bee's face, which she finds utterly charming. (sighs) God, when you put it that way, it's like, yeah, wow. I I didn't even think about, because again, I was angry with B. I didn't even think about how fucked up it is that she thinks it's adorable that he thinks business women are like basically sexless, uppity women who, you know, aren't worth a damn because they're unfeminine. Yeah. So they start a whirlwind romance based on that charming meat cute. <laughs> And are going to get married, but first they have to make sure that B's daughter, Jessie, is okay with it. Jessie, who is now an 18-year-old, is coming back on college vacation and immediately falls for her mom's boyfriend, which is weird. Warren William is weird casting for that. 
Warren William definitely gives off way more of a, like, warm dad vibe than a, like, sexy college professor you fall for freshman year vibe. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And the reason that they fall for, or that she falls for him immediately is Piola has now been convinced to go to an HSBC in the South. They don't name which one it is. Or do they? Is it on the letter? No, I think the, I don't think you see letterhead. I think you just see like. The content of the letter. Yeah. So she's attending college at some historically black college in the South. And uh, a letter comes that says, we're really sorry to have had withdraw from school so suddenly she left yesterday but you know she was a great student and we would have her back at any time which i don't think is actually how that would work but whatever so of course it's now like three days or four days after the letter was sent because that's how mail works and b and delilah go on a trip down south to find piola and in the first of many cringeworthy moments for me revolving around the ichthyologist and Jesse, B's way of dealing with the fact that her daughter is home from school is to say to her boyfriend, whom she has told she doesn't want to reveal is her boyfriend, why don't you just take care of Jesse while we're gone and show her a good time? So essentially, all of these plans that she had to do with her daughter, which when they're a mother-daughter thing, are just a mother-daughter thing, now become dates. Yeah. <laughs> like they go on the Staten Island Ferry at night, and they go see a Broadway play. <laughs> and that was the point where we went, oh my god, he's totally gonna hook up with her kid. Yeah. Again, doesn't. Yes. But wow, was that threat totally there for me. And I wonder if it was there for audiences in 1934 as well, or if that really is just like... I think it is because it's briefly implied when she gets back, when B gets back and realizes Jesse has fallen in love with her boyfriend, it, that she thinks it might be mutual. Right. And before figuring out that, oh, no, it isn't. Right. And so I think even to audiences, there is this thread of like, oh, how is this going to resolve? Because it could go a lot of different ways. Yes. But let's get back to the actual interesting part of this movie, which is Piola and her mother. Yes, go ahead. So they track Piola down. She is working at a, as a cashier in a restaurant and passing as white again. They immediately blow that. Is she a cashier at a restaurant? I thought she was working at a jewelry store. I, it's, I, the Wikipedia page says restaurant. And I, I honestly, she's just behind a register. That's honestly all you get. That's true. You don't really get any context of what the place is where she works. She is tracked down by B and Delilah, who reveal that Delilah is her mother. They all, I guess, go back to the hotel B and Delilah are staying at. And this is a good time to mention that Piola, as an adult or as a 19-year-old, is played by Freddie Washington, who was, in fact, a light-skinned African-American woman, which is extremely uncommon for the time. I'm not trying to hand out cookies to this movie unnecessarily, but when this movie was remade in 1959, Piola, who is a light-skinned black woman, is played by a white actress, and Freddie Washington was a light-skinned black woman. She was also apparently a huge civil rights activist. To the point where she had a lot of things to say about her character of Piola. Yes. And I do think, like, you can tell in this scene we're gonna, we, we, I guess, are talking about, which is Piola's big scene in the film, you can see the way they worked around the Hayes Code in this scene. 
because so much stuff is left unsaid in a way that is interesting rather than insulting. But clearly it's left unsaid because they can't directly state like, I don't want to live with the terrible backbreaking work of dealing with racism anymore. And so they both sort of talk around the issue. And Piola just says, like, I'm going away. I'm You're never going to see me again. I can't do this anymore. I'm going to go away and pass as white and basically deny your my mom for the rest of my life. And she's tortured about it. I mean, I really, Freddie Washington, it is too bad for the history of cinema that Hollywood didn't know what to do with her because she was too light skinned for directors to feel like she could play the various maid characters, which was pretty much everything that was available. I mean, she's amazing. She is such a phenomenal actor. And because of the way that the script is written, it would be very easy for somebody who doesn't have the level of emotional complexity and passion that she has to make Piola just seem completely unsympathetic. And instead you see this woman who is completely tortured by the decision that she's making and realizing that she has treated her mother really poorly for all of her childhood and hates the fact that she is breaking her mother's heart, but is just not strong enough to not take this opportunity that she has to step out of the oppression of racism in the world that she lives in. And none of that is addressed directly, and she still conveys all of it. You know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. Like, it, it is absolutely the high watermark of the film to me. For that reason of like, despite the fact that the Hayes Code is clearly trying not to address any of that stuff, and despite the fact that Delilah as a character is still a terrible African-American stereotype, that scene really plays and really gets across interesting, complicated stuff about race. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because of Freddie Washington's performance. Yeah. I don't even think she says, like, you don't understand how hard it is to be black when you could be white, but it's still there. She is a powerhouse and really just an amazing actor. Anyway, so that happens. Piola disowns her own mother, who is heartbroken, understandably. And dies of heartbreak disease, like you do in a movie, which is, I, I guess I should have, like had more build up to that but honestly the movie doesn't have much more build up to that the only other build up to it is that uh she takes to her bed and she doesn't feel well i mean it's basically that her heart is broken b says you know oh no you're you're gonna get better and delilah has a, a whole monologue about how she wants her funeral to be and in that monologue she makes a reference to her church and it's like, oh, yeah, this woman has a whole life outside of the white woman that she works for. Only we've never actually seen it at all. This movie is absolutely the story of a white woman with a black woman as a satellite to her. And it becomes very, very clear in this moment that this is B's story and not Delilah's at all. What's so weird about it, though, is like, this is that Hayes Code thing that you're talking about where, like, you can tell the movie wants to be about Delilah. It is clearly more interested in her. But, like, it, the movie is, in a practical sense, about B. Right. We see things through her eyes. It is, like, her parts of the world we get to, like, look at. 
the movie is interested in Piola and Delilah and honestly, I think shares our opinion that like, yeah, yeah, B's got a boyfriend. Oh yeah, I think so too. I think that's why that story is so boring is that it gets short shrift and, you know, good. Cause like who gives a shit about a love triangle that isn't a real love triangle between a woman and her daughter. Yeah. <laughs> and a Nick theologist. And so the movie like is... <laughs> The movie on paper is about that. It spends more screen time on that. But the movie clearly is way more interested in Piola and Delilah's plot. Really, honestly, spends must have been almost a majority of the budget on Delilah's funeral scene, which is also great. Also thanks to Freddie Washington. And because it is the only scene where you actually get to see Delilah's life outside of B. Right. <laughs> in any kind of a way but she dies the other black servants who are suddenly there who the movie has been not showing a whole lot up until now sing a spiritual as she dies and then we go to her gigantic funeral with like seemingly an entire black church and black police officers and a like gigantic horse-drawn hearse processional like it's it's huge and B does fulfill every wish that Delilah had using the money that she made from Delilah. Yeah. So I'm not going to give her any fucking credit there. <laughs> that was the bloody least that she could do for this woman. Right. Um, And like the movie again wants to frame that just like everything else B does is like white liberals making it happen. And like, no, no, <laughs> nope. but, but, Piola then shows up at the funeral and has a complete breakdown and starts screaming about how she killed her own mother. And Freddie Washington fucking kills it again. Oh, it is really hard to watch, but in the best way. Like, I mean that as a as a compliment to Freddie Washington's acting. Like, it is really heartrending. Yeah. And uh, then the movie just ends. And then the movie should end. Yeah, there's one last scene where B makes one last terrible choice. And decides to break up with her fiancé until her daughter gets over her crush on him. And then we have a callback to the very first scene of the movie, which, honestly, I had completely forgotten and did not care about at all. And then, end of film. Jesse asks B, when did you first meet Delilah? And instead of telling the story, she says, you know, oh, you were very young. You must have been about two. And I remember the day like it was yesterday. You were screaming, I want my quack quack. I want my quack quack. And it's like, that's that's not a story about Delilah. Again, you, you made a story about Delilah, about you and your white family. Again. End of movie. Like, literally, the last line of the movie is, I want my quack quack. Yeah. It definitely feels like that was tacked on by the studio. The movie should 100% end with Delilah's funeral, and should do so because we haven't had this ludicrous love triangle thing that was really... It, uh, it almost feels like the love triangle part was put into place and given as much attention in order to take the sting and the fire out of the extremely painful situation between Delilah and Piola. I think so. And I think it's also to give Claudette Colbert something to do in the back half of the film, since she cannot confront or talk about racism in any way. 
And obviously she can't play second fiddle to an African-American woman, my God. So she's still got to be the lead, and we've still got to spend all this screen time on her boring-ass love triangle plot, because otherwise the movie becomes about the much more interesting plot between Delilah and Viola. And we can't have that. And, like, it's just so tacked on. I It must be in the novel. It, it's so much time. It is. But the editing of the film gives it a prominence that I think it must not really have in, in the novel in the same way. It's just so weird to end the movie on it because you don't care about the resolution to that. You spend that whole scene going, like, is Piola okay? What's happening with Piola? Like, where is, where is she right now? Who is taking care of her? Right. While she's, like, making sure her daughter's okay with a freshman year crush. Which her fiancé repeatedly calls out as, like, she's 18. She's gonna fucking get over it. I mean, he is so good about the way that he rejects her. He's like, you know, you are a child in my eyes. I am not interested in you that way there is no feeling that i return in this way i understand but that's not what's happening here yeah please take your hands off of me (laughs) again it's claudette colbert can only be so charming a human being can only be so charming and trying to carry the weight of what on paper is just a horrible human being in b pullman (laughs) Like, it just grinds the movie down. Like, she can't do it. And that last scene where her concern is this dumb crush of her daughter's, when, by all rights, her closest friend in the world just died. Her closest friend in the world just died, and her, like, basically second daughter just had a complete emotional breakdown at the funeral. Yeah. Like, where is Piola? Yeah. What is B doing with Piola? How come she's not comforting and taking care of someone she helped raise as her child? Yeah. Anyway, that's how it ends. <laughs> No matter how much we would like it to end a different way, that is how the movie ends. So to discuss some problems with this movie, as if we have not done this already. Sure. I want to actually just get to the parts or, or put the background out there about the Hayes Code stuff, because then we can move on from what the Hayes Code did to what this movie did without the Hayes Code's direction. That also is problematic. So apparently there was a lot of concerns in the Hayes office about the implied miscegenation in this movie, that it's pretty obvious that if you have a very light-skinned black woman, that at some point in her lineage, somebody white was involved. They never say that. And in fact, they go out of their way to say that her father was just very light-skinned, which whatever, fine. (laughs) But this movie started shooting and had been shooting for two weeks before they ever got approval, even though they were told that the script would have to be approved by the Hayes office. And there was a letter that has this quote in it. The real problem involved in the script occurs in the last part of the story. End quote. Which, so the real problem with the script is the conversation, I guess, between Piola and Delilah, where Piola disowns her mother and then breaks her heart. They also apparently cut a scene where a young black child was threatened with lynching, which would have been literally the only 
scene in the movie where racism is shown outright other than the sort of casual racism of keeping your maid when you're now both millionaires and stealing her idea in order to be a millionaire. I think like what I was trying to say earlier about like the Hayes Code not really managing to ruin this movie is that the Hayes Code at every turn tried to remove any context for why Piola would want to pass. But unfortunately for them, it still had the context of the United States of America in 1934. Right. So it still plays. There you go. Or just the United States of America. <laughs> right. Yeah. Writ large. Fair. There's another letter that was written two weeks into the period where they were shooting, where the directors of the uh, AMPP, which was the like Association of Motion Picture or something, the people who decided on censorship wrote to the Hayes office and said, quote, it is our conviction that any picture which raises and elaborates such an inflammable racial question as that raised by this picture is fraught with grave danger to the industry and hence is one which we, in the dispension of our responsibilities under the Resolution for Uniform Interpretation of the Production Code, may be obliged to reject, end quote. Literally, they were saying we can't have a movie that indicts racism because that would be bad for the motion picture industry. What the fuck, man? Yep. You can't even bring it up. You can't even bring it up. It's like, there's a level on which that at least has the like balls to just say it versus a bunch of the like quotes on the Wikipedia page, which say things like, Hearst's novel dealing with a partly colored girl who wants to pass as white violates the clause covering miscegenation in spirit, if not in fact. Which is like, well, then it doesn't in fact, does it? Then you're not even fucking admitting what you're... Ugh. Yep. It really... <laughs> like, I I don't think we're breaking new ground going like, hey, Hollywood was amazingly racist in 1934. Also, Crazy Rich Asians just got made, so not really killing it right now either. But it's frankly kind of amazing that the movie ended up being completed and released at all, because even as much as they tried to decontextualize Piola's desire to pass as white... You can't make it decontextualized because, again, like you said, America. <laughs> right. And like similarly that like I I get that like I, I want to be very careful about how I say this, but like I get the Hayes office's concern in the sense of like from their shitty point of view of trying to avoid talking about this thing. Like, yeah, just saying her dad was a light skinned black man just kind of kicks that problem down the road a little bit, doesn't it? It's impossible to tell this story without touching what they think is this third rail. Now, it's not a third rail. It's a thing that they, people should be talking about. But, like, it must have been so stressful to try and not talk about it and still make this movie because it's fundamentally impossible to do. Right, right. My major issue with Tate with decontextualizing Piola's desire to pass and her desire to be white, for me as a white person watching this movie, is that it pathologizes her in a way that was extremely upsetting. And it also makes 
implicitly the statement that being white is intrinsically desirable and not that the social capital and the safety that is allowed to a person uh, and the privilege that you get for being white is what makes being white desirable, not being white. Yeah, and like it... But obviously if you're a black person watching this movie in the 1930s, or hell, even a white person watching this movie... You get why she wants to be white. It's not that being white is better. It's that being white in a racist society is a safer and easier road. Yeah. No matter how much they tried, they couldn't take that away. (laughs) Right. Like, as long as Piola is in the movie, that context is there. No matter what you do to the script, that context is still there. You know, I texted you, this is the most progressive movie you can possibly make with a regressive mammy stereotype as one of the leads. And, like, that was kind of a joke, but also I, like, weirdly think it's true. Like, you can't make a super progressive movie because the heart of the thing is still kind of racist. Not kind of. The heart of the thing is still racist. But, like, the the movie thinks of itself as progressive and wants to say things that genuinely are progressive. It's just such an imperfect messenger because of how they portrayed Delilah and how they treat Delilah and how they treat race in general. So moving on from the Hayes Code to the part they never seemed to have any issue with, which was the portrayal of Delilah as this... This mammy doormat. Even when it's explained to her several times, she can't pronounce the word ichthyologist, which is... Uh... Every single time they would do a dumb bit about the word ichthyologist, it... uh, But, like, there are so many moments of that where B is, like... It's really character assassination for both of them, kind of, because you do come out of it every time going, like, B, get your head out of your ass. Stop being so shitty. You're awful. You're being an awful person. Because she uh, she just kind of thinks of Delilah as this childlike, innocent idiot and treats her that way. And it's really shitty. Louise Beavers is a really, really fine actor. I mean, fine in the sense of, like, extremely good, not fine. Like, oh, she's fine. Because she does manage to give a lot of emotional weight to this character that has been essentially completely stripped of any intellectual weight, which is amazing. She does have a great emotional intelligence. She's very sympathetic, but she is completely desexualized. There's nothing about her relationship with Piola's father that we ever learn. It's just, oh, your dad was tortured by the fact that he was light-skinned too. Did, did he die? Did he... Uh, were they ever married? Did she have this passionate relationship with him and then he left her high and dry and pregnant? Like, there's nothing about Delilah in any of her relationships with anyone. She is so sacrificial always and does it happily. And it's very... I, I just wanted to, like, jump into this movie and be like, no, now listen, B. If Delilah's getting 20%, it better be because you're getting 20%. And the other dude put all the money up and is getting 60 because otherwise this is some bullshit. <laughs> yeah. And like, I... It's almost in the scenes with Piola, like Delilah is a completely different character. And like, 
that could be some interesting commentary on something if the movie ever let it be. Right, about code switching and like that you can't be fully yourself around white people if you're black. Right. But it, yeah, it doesn't actually let that blossom in any way. And part of that is B is always fucking there. Yeah. That B essentially assumes herself to be as much Peola's mother as Delilah is, and yet she she can't be. Well, I mean, also, honestly, then fucking put Peola in the last scene. But you're not gonna, are you? Like, <laughs> like... No, no, this poor woman just had a complete emotional breakdown at her mother's funeral shouting, I killed my mother, and you don't go collect her and comfort her and take her into your home. You're just like, cool, time to go home to Jesse. Like, what the fuck, lady? Yeah, like, I... <laughs> like, I could buy a thing where, like, B thinks of herself as Piola's second mom, but the movie definitely doesn't act that way. It just can't square that circle. Like, it wants to be good and progressive and talk about all of these interesting progressive ideas. And to a really kind of amazing degree for 1934 does, but it still does it with the heart of these racist caricatures of how to present black people on film that just tear the whole thing apart, frankly. And it is so frustrating because there is so much stuff in here both performance-wise and in terms of the actual narrative that is so interesting and so complicated and, like, clearly the cast is up to the task of dealing with it, but they don't get to and instead have to revert back to, like, yes, a Miss B and some real fucking bullshit. And I do feel like often Delilah is kind of a sock puppet for white people are are actually good and racism is not that bad. She has a line pretty early on in the movie when Jesse is a baby and B calls Jesse her angel and Delilah says she sure am an angel and I cringed because it's like when you have those sock puppet Twitter accounts where, like, obvious white supremacists are pretending to be black people so that they can, like, talk about black-on-black crime or how President Trump has done more for black Americans than Obama ever did, but they don't have any real understanding of African-American vernacular English, so they're just like, well, if you screw up the grammar, then it's correct. And it's like, she sure am an angel is not African-American vernacular English. I mean, it's bad. The presentation of Delilah is just kind of across the board bad, except in scenes between just her and Piola. Except for, like you said, the movie never lets her cross the line into saying something like, there is no reason to be ashamed of being black. Yeah. Or, I understand how hard this is for you because the world is racist. Or anything at all. It's it's just her having this like completely beatific, saintly, sacrificial, I love you, you're my daughter. Yeah. And actually, it seems to make it so that Delilah doesn't even understand that racism exists. Like the moment where, and we didn't talk about this yet, where it's raining and she goes to school to pick up Piola because Piola forgot her umbrella and her boots. And Piola has been passing as white at school and now has been outed because her mom shows up at the classroom door and says like, oh, that's my daughter Piola. And 
she feels bad that she's blown up her spot, but there's never any discussion as to why she feels bad about it or what the problem there is. Right. You can't actually deal with any of the nuance of that situation because it would require breaking down the situation and they're not allowed to do that. Right. And like, I think what I'm saying about the shift in scenes with just Delilah and Piola is in those scenes, Delilah is allowed to have the intelligence of an adult woman who is a single mother who is raising her daughter as best she can. Yes. Instead of being this childlike, servile idiot that she is in scenes with B. And like, it's a real jarring shift in a way. Because her presentation is so racist in all of the scenes with B that when she's just a normal human being with Piola, it feels radically different. Right. There's almost like a, there's not almost, there is the potential that is never realized for something really radical to be said there about playing servile and playing simple to white people in order to make them more comfortable. But there's nothing that ever gives that away or that says like, Delilah's playing the game because she knows how to take care of herself. She's a survivor. She's a single mother in a racist world and she needs to be able to feed and clothe her child. Yeah. Which would be something actually really interesting and really nice. It's just that she only manages to be a full human adult when she has these moments with Piola, but again, she's not ever allowed to address the issue that is breaking her child apart, which is so heartbreaking. She can comfort her, but she can't help her. Right. That's what makes that scene between the two of them toward the end of the movie so remarkable, is like, they convey almost all of that stuff without being able to actually explicitly mention what the rift is about at any point. Right, right. You know, we don't we don't get fully into Delilah talking about like, well, I do my own kind of passing. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you do get this sense of this is about a difference in philosophy. Like, you get a lot of the nuance from their performance, and there's a lot of nuance to unpack there. It's rough. It's a rough movie. Yeah. It is not a difficult movie to watch in the sense that it is boring, which is a thing that happens a lot with the movies that we have to watch for this podcast. It is a difficult movie to watch because looking at it from the perspective of 2018, you can't help but want to scream at the characters in this movie and to grab B and shake her and be like, hey, you need to let them discuss this stuff. You need to actually make it clear that it is a safe environment where they can speak about racism in your home, where these people live. If you're going to treat them as if they're family, if you're going to call them family, then you need to, because you have more privilege and because you have more status here, demonstrate that this is a safe environment for that discussion to be had. And at every turn, she actually demonstrates that it is an unsafe environment to discuss racism in any way. Yeah. And like the movie, again, does some interesting visual suggestions that it knows that, but can't ever really indict her for it. Right. The movie lingers a bit too long on that shot of B going upstairs to her glamorous bedroom and Delilah going back down into the basement. To not know stuff's going on there. But can't ever say that. You can't ever go like, Claudette Colbert's not doing great. 
because of the Hayes Code. And it sucks because Claudette Colbert is a very good actor, and I think she is playing such a different character than anything else that we've seen her in this year. Cleopatra was just a glorified clothes hanger for all of those dresses and was like sexy and slinky and that was it. Like there wasn't a lot of nuance to Cleopatra. Her character in It Happened One Night is so much younger and is like the cute ingenue. And here she is really, I think, successfully playing a fully grown up woman with a child who is a mother who is also a businesswoman and who is a potentially pretty complex character and they took a lot away from her i think in not allowing for b to be presented as dealing with the effects of helping to raise a black child right or like even just like b can at no point be in any way complicit in racism the movie can't call her out on that, even though she obviously is. The movie can't indict her for that complicity in any way, which sucks because, again, watching it from this perspective, it ends up indicting the whole movie for not allowing that indictment rather than just indicting B and white supremacy. Right. And like, weirdly, I think because of the like circles it ends up going in because of that, it ends up making B a more racist character because it can't talk about where she stumbles. She has to completely fall and then commit to the fall. That's a really good way of putting it. Yeah. So should you watch this movie? No. You know, it's really complex. This is the first one that from like a film historical perspective, I think Freddie Washington's performance is just so good. It is this interesting time capsule of like, what trying to be progressive and not really succeeding looked like at the time. But if we're talking about, should you watch this because it passes the screen test of time? No, it doesn't pass the screen test of time. Absolutely, it doesn't. Or should you watch it for pure entertainment value? No, because it's going to be, it's it's really not entertaining because it will raise your blood pressure. Yeah. If you're in a film history class, particularly a film history class that deals with censorship and the way that censorship throughout the history of film has affected the content of films i think it's critical to watch this film yeah but just as a person who wants to watch a movie for the sake of entertainment i would say no yeah interestingly so this movie was remade in 1959 with lana turner as the b character and a white actress as the piola character but the B character in the 1959 version is an aspiring actress, not just somebody who's trying to put food on the table for her kid. And of course, when the Piola character runs away, because that has been the model that has been set for her is like, oh, get on stage, get on film. She becomes a burlesque dancer because of course that's the only thing available to her even though she passes as white she can't fully go into the upper class part of the performing arts and apparently again i haven't seen it but reading the plot description and reading some critical responses to it the 1959 version is actually way more racist than the 1934 version that was suppressed by the Hayes code i'm not shocked by that this really wants to be woke for 1934 it's not because it can't be but like this is trying really really hard to say progressive things and i'm not shocked that the remake 
is, unless you're trying really hard for that, doesn't even get close. It sort of shows how this movie, while it definitely has that effect on us in 2018, and certainly had an effect on Black viewers who wrote letters to Freddie Washington and thanked her for this really complex portrayal of issues surrounding passing that white audiences and apparently white producers who would produce the movie in 1959 were just like oh that's a nice story and missed the whole fucking point yeah so scoring yeah it's real difficult for this one because like if this wasn't the screen test of time i think i'd give this like a six maybe as high as a seven just because Freddie Washington is that damn good and Claudette Colbert is good and, like, this is a thoroughly competent film in the technical parts of, of filmmaking. Yeah, the only part that drags is the love triangle thing. Right, and, like, I can sit through... Tw- and it, that's not even that much of the movie. Yeah, <laughs> but, like, you know, how good can it be with a mammy stereotype at the center of the narrative? Not... Not very. It tries to lift itself up past that and succeeds at various times in various ways. But I still, like, three? I feel like three, and I feel like three is up from a f- just a full-on failure because of just the incredible work that the cast, particularly the Black actors, are doing to sneak that message into the movie that they were not allowed to say. That it is absolutely to their credit to get it up and i think that they deserve that credit for getting that message up into the film but yeah i think three i think three is as high as i'm willing to go it's just like that's the ceiling on this it hit it it's as good a movie as it can be given that it can't be that good of a movie it really had its wings like not just clipped but fully removed so the ceiling on it is a three yeah so next week This was a rough one. (laughs) Yeah. Next week, we're finally done with 1934. With the movie you keep forgetting exists. Yes. And I'm sure we'll we'll continue to forget exists after we watch it. (laughs) But uh, yeah, we're finally watching Flirtation Walk. And we will discover if it is, in fact, just an elaborate troll that has been put on Wikipedia Mm -hmm. and not a real movie that is a musical comedy about West Point. (laughs) (laughs) oh i feel so relieved that i could laugh about something again (sighs) i also i feel i i would bet good money that your delivery of that is funnier than anything we will watch in this movie yep uh yeah so tune in next week when we will hopefully not have to talk about anything quite this distressing in light of what this movie is about but who knows because 1934 has been full of racist surprises right i was gonna say like the last time we watched a romantic quasi-comedy film that had to do with the military there was a extended blackface sequence so like let's let's not rule anything out yeah let's let's cross that bridge when we get to it until then this was a movie yes it was We'll see you we'll see you next week, everybody. Bye. Bye. Them boys sure play good for white boys. They ought to play well. They get paid enough for it. What's that got to do with it, Yola? Oh, nothing. 
we forgot to remind you to subscribe to us on iTunes, or, you know, your podcasting app of choice. Uh, not only does that mean you'll get fresh episodes of Screen Test of Time right as we release them, it'll also help out our metrics, which is still a weird thing to have to say. Uh, while you're there, you could also like us, maybe even write up a quick positive review. That helps out with the mysterious black box process Apple uses to promote podcasts. I'm starting to think maybe the internet was a bad idea. Sorry to get political on you. Please like and subscribe. <laughs>